This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Green and White, brought to you by Argyle Life. Plymouth Argyle climbed back to the top of Skybet League One on Tuesday as Wednesday fell to Barnsley. Goals from Matt Butcher and Conor Grant, remember him, were enough to secure all three points against John Coleman's Accrington Stanley. As Argyle cleaned up at the Wham Stadium, I'm feeling a few of, uh, ill effects, shall we say, of the, of the cold, wet and windy away end with the 688 other greens on Tuesday night. But joining me this week to do all the talking after watching the game in the comfort of their own homes are John Allsop. All good? African Stanley. Who are they? I'd take that as a, as a yes. Finley Allen, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Good. And the Racing Media Academy's own, Joe Bell. Congratulations, mate. Thank you very much. Nice to be a part of uh, Selection Roulette for this week. Yeah, talking of Selection Roulette, obviously Shuey's, uh, Shuey Roulette died in midweek. After only two changes. Uh, who wants to run us through this one first? John? Sure, I can go for it. So, yeah, having already served my penance of standing in the cold and rain on the Accrington away end once for that uh, miserable 5 1 defeat that all but relegated us in 2019, I was fortunately not there last night. It looked um, truly hellish. Um, to clarify, I wanted to go, but basically, I live in London and the train situation was not happening. Um, so yeah, I watched, I watched on the, uh, on Argyle TV. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good, obviously positive to get the win. Um, you know, I said on the show before that I have some concerns about us going to grounds with teams who dig in and, and scrap and fight. Um, and you know, whether we have the quality to sort of come out of those games with wins, obviously we don't tend to lose those games, but at this stage of the season, we couldn't really afford a draw last night. I'm sort of in two minds as to whether last night was a good example of that or not. On the one hand, I think the weather and the quality of the pitch made it kind of de facto a scrappy, difficult game. And so it's pleasing to sort of hang in there and come out on the right side of that. On the other hand, I thought Accrington, for large parts of the game, were extremely poor. That's definitely the worst Accrington side that we've played in a long, long time. Obviously, we battered them twice last season but I think in general they were a better side than they have been this year um it really kind of looked like they were trying to do all the things you'd associate with the John Coleman side and not having a great deal of success um just a horrible lack of quality on the ball you know I didn't think they were particularly resilient defensively I mean we broke them down time and time again Ryan Hardy could and should uh, I know we're joined tonight, uh, especially by Ryan Hardy's biggest fan in the in the podcast. But um, maybe we'll come on to that. Uh, but uh, he, no, he, he huffed and puffed and just couldn't, you know, couldn't get a goal. Um, we probably should have scored four or five or maybe even six. I think um, I thought we were really good in the first half. And ironically, you could probably extend that to say up until they went a man down. I actually thought we were pretty poor after that for 20 minutes or so. And you've got to give credit to Accrington in that portion of the game because I, I did think that when they went down to 10, that would be the end of them and they would just sort of die off. We'd, pick, we'd sort of pick them apart and they would give up. They really had a very good go at us. Um, and, you know, didn't have too many chances in that time. Callum Burton's made a very good save. 
from a from a free kick from distance, and I hope we'll come on to him. I and mean, we dealt pretty comfortably with stuff they put in the box, but it was a bit bags to the wall, and it's disappointing that we couldn't impose ourselves more in that section of the game. But as this team so often does, you know, when we needed that second goal to just create the distance uh, and make it comfortable for ourselves, we got it with a really well-worked team move and a, and a great finish from who remembers uh, Connor Grant. So, yeah, it was um, all in all a pleasing evening and obviously you can't ask for anything more than the three points. So not the best performance ever, but certainly not one to complain about either. And I think we just take that and, and pocket it and move on to the much more important matter of the Pizza Cup final. Anything to add there, Joe? No, not massively. Um, I thought I thought John's pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think first half we didn't have a great amount of quality across across the game, um, but I think conditions sort of really played their part in that. I don't think it was ever going to be conducive to a free flowing game of football, regardless of what sort of antics Accrington got up to throughout the ninety minutes. I thought, I mean, we got an incredible slice of luck with the opening goal, um, and to get in at one 0 at half time, you're thinking, yeah, okay, regroup get through the first 15, 20 minutes of the second half, and then we can sort of see the game out. John's right. The red card changes the game, but in a weird way, the wrong way for us. Because um, for there was a good seven, eight minute spell there. You could even extend it to a 10 minute spell where we were really rocking. Like we we couldn't get out. Accrington were throwing. To be fair to them, they, they had nothing to lose. They threw everything at us, kitchen sink and all. Um, and, you know, we... We were under pressure for a spell there, but there was what the one real outstanding quality we showed across the night for me was the move that we got the the second goal with, um, and ultimately that was the difference. And um, as John says, you just get out of that game with whatever you can. It was always a potential banana skin, 2-0 win, back-to-back clean sheets. I think we can all be pretty happy with the last four days after the drubbing at Barnsley the week before. Channeling the uh, the ghost of Sam, who is absent tonight with the banana skin line. I actually didn't think it was a banana skin particularly. I think that's based on... I think that was based on an assessment of Accrington from seasons gone by when it was a tough place to go. I don't think it really is this season at all. Um, and I'd be very fearful if I was a, a fan of theirs. But yeah, you know, still had to go and do the job, and we did. Players scoring against their former side is obviously... A trait that we're normally uh, normally associate with players that we've let go. Um, obviously, Matt Butcher's deflected shot, but I got one nil up against his former side. Is that is that visually the worst goal we've scored since our last goal at the at the Wham, Finn? Yeah, I, I can't think of many uh, weirder or like yeah, definitely because I, I honestly the first thought I had when I watched it back was that reminded me of I think our first goal there last season, right? Uh, that, so yes, probably. It's something about the wham. I don't know. It's just a bit of a weird place, isn't it? Like it's just. I mean, obviously it's Accrington Stanley, but it just doesn't feel at all like a, a League One, a League One stadium. You know, it could be, it could be in the National League North, and no one complain about it, kind of thing. You know. Yeah, I think I said before we push record that just the angle of that away end and like the the way you look across the pitch, just like any goal in that far end, just looks like we didn't even know it gone in. Same same with Ethan Hamilton's last year. Obviously, James Bolton was replaced within half an hour. Obviously, bittersweet as Dan Scar returns to the fold. How unlucky can one man be? How much of a blow is his loss as we as, as just as he begins to find his feet again? Yeah, I mean, with the limited amount of games we we have seen him play, well, throughout his time at Argyle, he definitely looks like he has all the composure and skill to play at the top end of this level, if not uh, slightly higher. However, if you, as we've seen with Brendan Galloway, if you can't stay fit, you can't stay fit. And we know how reliable Dan Scar is and has been for us this season. And in fact, when he has been out of the team, bar the, uh, bar the slight introduction of uh, James Bolton back into the fold in recent games, we've looked, I think, less sure at the back um, in general. So to have him back, um, obviously, for James Bolton is really disappointing. And for us, it is you know, a disappointing loss again. Um, and that we can't, you know, we can't rely on his on his fitness. But now that Dan Scar is coming back, it, it feels a lot less of a blow than it would have done, I think. John, you like picking up where Sam left off. L- last week Sam said that James Bolton would be at a much higher level than than us if he could stay fit. Yeah, and well that's the if, isn't it? Um I think I I think I agree with that. Yeah, I, I can't really add anything. Um it was a very as you said, a very 
bittersweet substitution in the sense that you have one player coming off who you just really fear for, don't you? Whenever whenever he goes down, not someone where you look at it and think maybe they're just taking him off as a precaution. He'll be back next week. It's someone where, given his injury history, any instant like that, and and just also like looking at the the look on his face, you know, just look sort of fed up and furious, basically. So obviously we'll wait and see what happens. Hopefully, you know, we can always hope we might see him in the run in at some point, but it doesn't doesn't really look good. Um, but then, yeah, then you have Dan Scar coming back, and obviously that was that was massive. And I thought he played really, really well last night. Came in and was composed, um, but also kind of a battle act, which you need in a game played in those conditions. Uh, so I thought he he did really well. I think I have come down. Well, I think we've discussed on this show a few times this, who would be in our sort of main back three if we had everyone fit, which again is a bit of a misleading question because, as you alluded to with your reference to Sam, I think there are defenders in there who would not be playing at this level if they could stay fit. So. It's, it's a hard one to sort of judge hypothetically, I guess. Um, but yeah, in, in that hypothetical scenario, having thought about it a lot, I think over the course of the season, my three would be Bolton, Scar, Gillespie, um, which is not necessarily thing, not necessarily anything against James Wilson in particular, um, or Galloway or, or even Longbike, but just I feel like those are the three who I like the most in those respective positions. So, so yeah, um, even though Bolton can't necessarily be called a sort of first-team regular it's not because he's not good enough. It's not because he's not an important player for us. It's, it's very simply because of his fitness. And so it's it's really disappointing to have to be sat here talking about that again. But um, obviously sent him positive vibes and hopefully we'll see him see him back before the end of the season and, and hopefully, you know, has a, has a longer-term future at this club, even if not. Schumacher suggested in the week that he thought, obviously after he listened to our pod, he thought it was time to adjust how we set up away from home. I, I wasn't too sure that we saw any of that last night but do we think that now obviously Galloway's injury problems Bolton's injury problems Lomvike's set for a, a spell on the side do we do we think that changes how we set up just by lack of personnel do we go to a back four I think actually that I'm glad you've raised this point Aaron because I actually think the last two games we perhaps have set up a little bit differently after the Barnsley defeat even at home against Forest Green at the weekend I know obviously I was not needed for the weekend um, but the thoughts on the game were that I do think we perhaps set up a little bit more conservatively. It was a case of whatever happens, you do not lose the game. Whereas at Barnsley, we went, we set out to win the game. We set out to be proactive within the first hour. And let's be fair, we should have been 1-0 up. Against Forest Green, I, I sort of thought, yes, we got the goal after eight minutes, but I thought I thought that was almost a bonus to the game plan. Um, similar to last night, really. I think if we could have kept it tight to nil-nil at half time. Um, I'd imagine Shuri would have walked off the pitch thinking that's the first objective ticked off the list. And with the way we play second halves nowadays, I think, you know, we are much more of a second half team for me than what we are a first half team. Um, just because of the we weren't yesterday. Well, we were. you, said you say yourself. that, but the one bit of quality in yesterday's game came in the second half, didn't it? Very, very harsh on Butcher. I mean, it's going about six foot wide, isn't it? Let's be fair, he'll probably admit it himself. But going back to the point at hand, yeah, I, I do think we have set up a little bit more conservatively um, the last two games. And I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's anything to be concerned about. I think that's just direct consequence of the, the capitulation, which it was at Oakwell, um, that it is a case of the first objective in every game is you shut the back door. You do not let the other team score. And if we're drawing games nil-nil, we are good enough. We have enough potent threats up front to nick a goal. Um, and I think that's the right way to go for this mini league of 10 games. Um, and yeah, I mean, Shiri's obviously listened to us all, hasn't he, in recent weeks and he's taken it on board. I don't, I don't know if I totally agree with what Joe's saying. And I didn't watch the Forest Green game either in the flesh or in, um, sorry, in the flesh is insensitive to Forest Green, isn't it? Uh, in <laughs> person or on TV. But I uh, listened to it Um I don't, I don't know. And certainly watching last night's game, I don't know if I'd say I saw an enormous difference in our in the way we set up. Um, yeah, obviously, if you don't have Lombike at centre-back and you do have one of our other options, barring potentially Galloway, you're going to be just a, probably a bit more compact just because of the very kind of leggy, rangy way that Lombike tends to sort of play out from the back. Um, so I think, Aaron, to your question, maybe that is a, a function of personnel more than anything else. I mean, there were there was one point in the second half, I think, yesterday, where we had, like, a counter-attack and suddenly, like, I think Matete and Butcher both went up and then suddenly there was a huge hole in midfield and they were pouring forward. So 
maybe that was just kind of a lapse in, in instructions that Shuey had given them to be a bit more to be a bit more compact. Um, I guess my main point here though is that like I don't know if I do want us to set up in a hugely more compact way. And don't get me wrong, like I'm very happy to win games two and one nil and go up if we win every week. Um, but I also think this team is at its best when it's on the front foot. It, like obviously old cliche of attack being the best form of defense, but like especially against the caliber of team that we're playing in the run-in, i.e. not Barnsley, Sheffield, Wednesday, Ipswich. I think what, you know, I've said it till I'm hoarse on this show, you know, we, we look so much better when we play our own rhythm, when we play our own style, when we try and impose ourselves on teams. And yesterday, I thought in the first half, we already did that against Accrington. We took the game to them. We were aggressive. We were on the front foot. Should have scored more than one goal. In the second half, obviously, I think probably had more chances just because it was stretched and they had 10 men and we had some on the counter. But also, as we mentioned, you know, there were long periods where we were camped in our own box. I don't think that was that was a tactical decision. I think we we just were struggling to get out for whatever reason. But I like it when we get our foot on the ball and, and play out and play on the front foot. And I think, yeah, as we've said many times, you know, you're going to get some pastings when you do that in this league where there are some really, really good teams. And and for me, as I said, after the Barnsley game on, on the pod, I think, you know, I didn't actually have much of a problem with it. I didn't think it was a 3-0 game. And I felt we just were on the wrong side of a game where our openness cost us. I know certain other people on this podcast would virulently disagree with that analysis, but I don't think the Barnsley game was a huge like failure of approach or, or overall tactics. I think we just came up against a really bloody good side. By the way, a side that put four goals past Sheffield Wednesday, who had seemingly been impregnable before that. So uh, last night, I should say. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Obviously, being solid is good. These are all kind of truisms, right? Like, it's good to not concede goals. It's good to defend well. But if it's like an actual approach to be more stodgy in games where we have the ability to be expansive and impose ourselves on teams, I wouldn't favour that in the run-in. And, and, I, and I don't know if there's a ton of evidence for it after two games. Forest Green sounded stodgy, but that sounded like because we just didn't really turn up more than anything last night. I don't know if I saw a ton of evidence for it. So, yeah, I guess I'll disagree slightly with, with Joe on that one, although we, we all want clean sheets, of course. Yeah, I, I was kind of echo what... Um... What John said, I I was gonna say, is there a point to be said? Because obviously we've just come through. Let's be fair, you know, our like it's true that our away form hasn't been great, despite us being fourth in the away table and whatever. But uh, but if you look at the quality of sides that we have played in that running, you know, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, Barnsley, um, even Oxford on on the terrible run of form that they were, it's not the easiest place to go always. You know, there, there are some real tough games there. And I'm not saying that more, you know, Morecambe and Accrington and, uh, well, those ones in particular can cause, you know, the, uh, the, um, their own types of problems. But ultimately, we are better footballing sides than them. So if we go at them and we play to even... 50% of our ability we should go and beat them right i don't i don't see there's a there's an argument that we should set up defensively against morecambe because they are likely to do that against us so I mean, that would kind of be counteractive obviously you both say there about about wanting to be more front footed and more on the tap when when do we start to worry about the lack of creativity on show because well, whilst we're picking up wins it's, it's obviously hard to criticize as such a, and obviously we spoke about as as in length when Neither of you three were on it. You know, I don't really want to chastise him again specifically, but it just doesn't feel as nice on the eye in recent weeks as it did at the start of the season. The performance of Finazaz doesn't seem nice on the eye. Well, Finazaz is always nice on the eye, aesthetically. No, the performance, the performance, obviously. Um, I, Well, I wouldn't get too carried away because, as I said at the start of my response to what John said, the conditions last night were never going to suit us playing at our free-flowing, fluid best. Um, and Saturday, we had so much of the of the ball. It was, I mean, it was a non-event, wasn't it? It was an exercise for an hour, um, well, for 90 minutes, really. Um, and we didn't we didn't need to break them down. The worst thing that could have happened, really, on Saturday was getting the goal straight after half-time, because that just killed the contest completely. Um, but in response to that, we should, let's be fair, we should have probably walked away with, four or five goals in the back pocket last night. We we created more than enough second half. I mean, Hardy Hardy probably doesn't want to buy a lottery ticket tonight because he wouldn't end up with anything on his on his ticket at the end. I mean, he's hit both posts with one effort. He's had a couple of opportunities where he's been free and through. Azaz should have scored from about 12 inches. 
Um, like we've created, we've created more than enough last night. Um, but going on to your Azaz point, I sort of understand it. Um, I do. I personally felt at Barnsley, he really wasn't at his best that day. Um, he he created one or two brilliant opportunities on Saturday, and again last night, like if he scores that goal, maybe his confidence is up. Um, but I don't think we have to worry too much. I've said it before that it's. I've said I've hung my thoughts on it. If we're not creating, is when I'm worried. Um, but at the moment, I still feel like we're creating more than enough opportunities to kill these sides off. So, um, yeah, it doesn't worry me too much. I, w- I would also kind of echo that and say it's important to me. I think that the way I look at it, that if we don't have to go one hundred percent in the game, as in you know, full, as in full blown attack all the time, and not necessarily grind them out, but just get enough to do what we need to do done with nine games. Uh, of the league season left, um, or is it eight now? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, I think I think as long as we get the wins and we just do what we need to do at this point, we we our performances has carried us to this point. So now it's just about results. I think I was going to say this with the butcher strike uh, earlier that, that you know all of this will be nice grist for the narrative of embittered fans of certain other clubs whose nickname may rhyme with factor toys that we could name about how we would be lucky. And when I say fans, I also probably include the manager of that of that, of that uh, factor boys football team. Uh, you know, about, about us being horrendously lucky and everything is fine margins with us and we always come out on the right side of it. Um, you know, and, the, and they'll look at the highlights, you know, as, as the, the lower league pundits do, and they'll look at Butcher's shot being a massive ricocheting going in the bottom corner um, and say, oh, you know, lucky Plymouth Argyle playing against 10 men, whatever. And and it's like, it's not been the case all season that we've been lucky. Have we had lucky moments? Yeah, sure. You know, I'm sure every team has lucky moments. But it's but it's a case of us being, as I've said before on this podcast many times, an incredibly efficient team. Like, we, we do what we need to do in games and we don't seem to feel the need to overexert ourselves. So if, you know, the, the factor, to- uh, factor Toys or anyone else want to go and thrash Forest Green 5-0 and get... Um, all the lower league pundits cooing about how great they are going forward. Fine, I don't care. You know, win the game 2-0, treat it like a training exercise against a rubbish side. Fine. Happy days. Um, you know, I'd be much more worried if we were on the ropes in these games and, and we were coming out with moments that are fine margins. But it's just not the case. You know, if, if Butcher hadn't scored that against Accrington last night, we would have scored another goal in the first half because we were all over them for the entire half. Similarly, Derby at home, that's another one that will get held up as lucky penalty, whatever I think it was a penalty, as we've discussed at length before. But, like, again, we were all over them and we would have scored. Like, we, we were doing what we needed to do to get a goal. We got the goal and we just took our foot off the gas a little bit to manage the game. And, you know, I think, obviously, you, you do run a risk when you do that. Maybe not a 2-0 up, maybe, but a, a 2-1. So, and you know, obviously, every, every fan of every football club would love to see them batter teams every week. But... You know, if, if if the alternative is sort of fizzling out at the end of the season because we haven't re- retained any kind of energy, I'd much rather we take this sort of sensible approach to it. This is ultimately what we're doing is we're managing games, by and large, really, really well. Um, be that starting strongly and just seeing it out, be that getting those two goals and just kind of shutting it down, be that, um, you know, Shui has to change some things because it's not really working and we and we come back into the game. We're very, very good at game management. We're not, it's not luck, you know? So... Well, yeah, you know, if that butcher thing hit spun wide or hit the post or whatever, we still have won the game last night. Um, you could be very equally point as, as I think Joe did to so that hardy shot where, he, where he's hit the inside of both posts. That's unlucky from our point of view. I, just don't, I don't think there's a problem with creativity. I don't think it's a problem where we just can't create chances at the moment. I think we have had a problem with creativity at times this season in that kind of turgid run before Christmas. That that was I was a bit worried about it then. We are creating chances now, ample chances. And, and as Joe said, we should have put the game away much, much more comfortably than we did last night, um, despite not really being our fluid best, as, as he also mentioned. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about it. I think that's, that's not a concern for me. I'm well aware this is going to come back to bite me. But um, at this point, I think, obviously, you look at Barnsley, for example, and they are on a phenomenal run of form currently, but I can't see that. I can't see them winning every game between now and the end of the season. Um, I don't think we'll win every game between now and the end of the season, but I also do think that teams, fans of other teams, are running out of ways to try and put us down because we are just we're just doing what we need to do and we have done all season, and that's what makes me more confident and not that we will 
do it because um yeah i just obviously we are a league one side and we we will make mistakes between now and the other, um, end of the season but so well so will others and um you know we've got we've got players scoring from every position um we are you know there was a worry before um before this game that we we weren't doing too well you know too well away from home and you know we've gone to Accrington and won so it's like I don't know I just I'm running out of ways to be worried about the outcome of this season you know you should talk to Sam because he's got a lot of them. but yeah I think even Sam now really saying if we if we win these games against Accrington and Morecambe then you know it's like it is literally ours to lose then Sam is Sam is very worried about the near certainty of us getting zero points this this coming weekend, and the week after that. That's a long, long time without a victory, isn't it? You know. <laughs> nice. Let's call that a break. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Alongside Dan Scar, another man to return from in is, of course, Conor Grant. Uh, I doubt you'd find a single Argyle fan who isn't delighted for him and after what he's been through uh, and his return to the side. Andrew Willis, at Old Fart Fan, uh, that made me laugh, asked, is anyone more optimistic for the rest of the season seeing the return of the Mayer-Grant partnership down the left-hand side? Am I more optimistic? I don't know. It's great to have him as an option, isn't it? I mean, he's a wonderful, wonderful footballer. And, and yesterday, I mean, that goal was just classic Mayer to Conor Grant action um, and a great drilled finish across goal into the bottom corner. Yeah, he's a great option to have. So, so I think early has done on the whole quite well since coming in. I think, you know, when I've spoken about him before on this show, it's been after sort of one good performance, one bad performance, but I think since then he's done all right. Obviously we've got Mumba there as well, who is, um, offers something completely different to Conor Grant and is terrific. I, I don't I don't think, you know, it changes my view on, on promotion likeliness one way or another, likelihood one way or another, but yeah, it's wonderful to have him back, isn't it? Yeah, he definitely gives us another type of option, which is a benefit um, because... I would even say that, like, I love, I we, we all love Ballymumba, but I also think um, if, like, he's not, I'm not saying Conor Grant is that great defensively either, but my, my one criticism of Ballymumba is that sometimes he does get caught out quite a bit. So, um, and I, maybe I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, Connor Grant generally last season didn't really do much wrong defensively, so um, that could be a positive as well. If 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 we're just sort of veering away from the um, qualities that he has in attack, Connor Grant for Mumba is a substitution that I absolutely love at like sixty five minutes when we're one yeah. tricky away game for the rest of the season. You know, Mumba nearly gave me a hernia last night on a couple of occasions with some of his defending. Seemed to have him as the last man back again when they were pummeling the ball up front and it was him against their, like, 7-foot-11 striker. Fortunately, he didn't really have the quality to capitalise on any of the times he failed to win it. But, yeah, um, I see. I probably see it more in that sense rather than him starting. Uh, although if Edwards is injured, which seems to maybe be the case, um, possible Mumba right-back, Conor Grant left-back from the start, you know, could, could be an option as well. Um yeah, I, I think it's a squad option. He's just, again, just a great player to have. Obviously, two wins on the bounce, which have led to two clean sheets in a row. One player who is slowly changing opinions is obviously Callum Burton. Archie, our listener from Leipzig, has asked for an apology from you, John. Not specifically, but let's be honest, from you. Uh, any backtracking on your previous assessment of him? <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> 
before you issue your apology, obviously all at Argyle Life would like to send Callum Burton, if he's listening, I doubt it, and his wife Day. Congratulations on the birth of their child uh, after becoming parents on Sunday. Go on, John, say sorry. I, uh, oh, it's the hardest word. Or is it a potential it? podcast prison sentence coming your way, fella? <laughs> it is the hardest word. Um, look, I stand by what I said about Callum Burton on the pod after I believe the Peterborough game at the time that I said it. Uh, I was certainly, I, I thought I was less critical of him than Sam Down. And I remember being pretty clear that what I said was, based on what we have seen so far, this can't really carry on until the end of the season. And I'd be looking at other options on the free market. Um, but I think I also said uh, that I, you know, I don't know if he's got it in him to improve. Um, let's let's hope he does and let's see. And he has. So, you know, I was I was wrong to doubt him. I'll certainly say that much. Um, and that's also a difficult thing for me to say as my uh, anyone who knows me will attest. Um, <laughs> I don't know about an apology because, like, I called it as I saw it at the time, and at the time, I you know I completely stand by what I said. I don't think I was wrong about his performances up to that point, which were not good enough. He's been he's really grown in stature a lot in the last few weeks, and that has been great to see. Um, and I thought last night in my match ratings, you know, I do with with friends, um, I gave him nine out of ten last night in the match ratings, and I thought I was going to get slated by uh, Sam Down, among others, for that. Uh, but actually, they all gave him a nine as well. Um, I thought he was very clearly man of the match. And, and not like in a, you know, they've won 2 nil and their keeper was man of the match, you know, weren't the rubbish kind of way. Just like almost more as an outfield player than a goalkeeper. I just thought that everything he did was basically flawless. His catching was fantastic on a night when it can't have been easy to, to hold on to the ball. Um, he was brave when he needed to be. He did another one of those really nice little headers where he ran out of his box and just headed it to one of his teammates late on. Real composure. His kicking was really good. His distribution was really good. Made one outstanding save, albeit from a free kick, where if it goes in, you're probably questioning it. Um, but, but you know, nonetheless, a, a good, strong pair of hands to beat it right out. Um, I thought he was outstanding. And that is really, really good to see. I would not say that my nerves about him have completely gone away obviously there are a lot of games in the run-in and I do sometimes like still hold my breath instinctively just a little bit um but if he continues to play at the level he's shown in the last few games he is certainly what we all wanted him to be which is not obviously not Mike Cooper but like a competent solid league one level stand-in for Mike Cooper while Cooper's injured I think that's all any of us have ever really been asking for certainly on this pod i know maybe there are people on the outside who think that he should be as good as cooper or it's a lot of cause and even when we were you know even when sam and i criticized him after that peterborough game i don't think that was what you know that was what we meant um but but yeah that more realistic expectation he is certainly meeting based on recent performances that i have seen and yeah that's really great to see so i'm not i'm probably not going to apologize uh because don't think I need to, but I'll admit that I was wrong. Um, over, overly pessimistic, let's say, about his potential for improvement. Although I did caveat that by saying it was possible. So, you know, um, Sam is probably the one who really needs to apologise and he is conveniently not here. But uh, Joe Joe uh, will, will now, I'm sure, take a victory lap and probably deserves the opportunity to do that. So go ahead, go ahead, Joe. I would say, I'd start off by saying Sam Down's getting more references tonight than on any other night that he's actually on the pod. I will take my victory lap. Look, I I said at the time I thought the criticism was harsh. Um, I thought touching um, on last night's performance in particular, I thought that was head and shoulders his best as Argyle's new number one goalkeeper for the rest of the season. They were okay, yeah. Um, I thought the, the big moment was when he rushed out um, on the through ball um, and he smothered the ball away from the attacker. Um, I actually said with my cousin, who I watched last night's game with, that three weeks ago, I don't think he would have come off his line for that. Um, and he was brave, he was decisive, and he won the ball brilliantly. Um, as John says, there was a header out to Gillespie on the left-hand side when he came out. I think we need to give him a little bit more credit than what perhaps John did um, on the save from the free kick, because I think that quite clearly swerved. Um, it was going to move all day long. Um, he watched it. He pulled off a brilliant save for that. 
And there were a couple other ones. Remember the the penalty that they didn't get after eight minutes? He he managed to get down low to the near post and turn it around for a corner as well. Um, but yeah, there were several key moments last night where actually Callum Burton really looked the part, which I have never doubted. And the Defence Council will take a week to decide on John's punishment for his lack of apology. I'm surely out of jail for that. That's rest. That's restitution. I'm surely out for that. You might you might get a community order. That's all. That's what we might push for. You touch on it there, Joe. It's only fair that we're not completely biased. Obviously, we are fairly partisan. But there's, there was an incident there where West Saxon early could have given away a pen. Second game in a in a row for him. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, I thought it at the time. I was a little bit surprised the referee didn't give it. Um, you saying that we might not be completely biased? I felt a little bit awkward at times watching that game last night at the amount of things that went our way. Stephen Schumacher touched on it in his post-match interview. Um, for the life of me, I cannot understand or fathom how we didn't get a player booked. Um, James Wilson and Barley Mumber in particular. Um, I don't think they can have any real complaints about the red card at Creighton. Um, The lad is violently out of control for the first one. Um, and perhaps if Mumba, it's credit, to, I think it was Mumba who went down, wasn't it? Um, it's credit to him that... Um, he got back up and didn't make a meal of it because it could have been a different colour at that point. Like he was off the ground, his feet were raised. Um, and the second one's just a super tackle. Um, so I don't think the lad can have any complaints. Accrington's plight isn't going to be helped by the fact they continue to finish games without the full quota of players. Um, you're always facing an uphill battle with that. Possibly. And, and you know, as, as as we touched on earlier, we do have to give them credit for that 10-minute spell. Um, but I just thought some of the other decisions in the game, uh, the Sean McConville yellow card, I didn't understand that at all. I didn't even see a foul there, to be honest with you. And he seemed very quick to go to the pocket on numerous occasions with Accrington players. Um, so that was disappointing. Um, but, yeah, the, the original point about the penalty, I thought it was. Um, but, you know, when you're at the bottom... We've had we had it the year we got relegated our League One. When you're at the bottom, you get nights like that with referees where nothing goes your way, and the team at the top get the rub of the green. Um, and it is just refreshing that right now we are getting the rub of the green with referees. But I just thought it was only fair, given how much I rant about referees when things don't go in our favour, um, that I sort of play a bit of devil's advocate here and say that I did feel uncomfortable at various points last night at the seeming bias that was coming from the referee um, towards us, which is refreshing from our point of view, but it's not a good look for any neutral or Accrington fan, obviously. We're not getting the rub of the green with the kit colour on a Sunday, though, unfortunately. I'm glad you've raised that, Finn. Why were we in our away kit last night? Why could we not wear green? Did we just wear that for wearing our away kit's sake? I don't get that. Some Can somebody answer that for me? Because this uh, yeah, on I, I, I don't. To be honest, I don't really understand how it how it how it works. Because uh, this rolls just... on perfectly to the fact that we got to wear grey at Wembley, which is a pathetic decision. I know I've got no real interest in the cup final, but I mean it's just pathetic, isn't it? It really triggered me last night that we were in the away kit. I like the away kit. I think we look good in the away kit, but we could wear green. I think we were in the away kit because we were away. You do just wear it for the sake of it, then, do you? Like, you can cast your fishing net all you like, Aaron. It's, I just don't get it. When you, you have an alternative kit for the opportunities, you cannot wear your first choice kit. That was the whole idea of two, having two kits. Last night, we had the opportunity to wear green because there was no kit clash. There's my weekly ramp here. Pathetic. Joe, I've lined up a preview pod for the Papa John's game so that you didn't have to... You didn't have to talk about it. We can do a Bolton preview now if you like about grey kits, but uh, we have got 22 Twitter questions to get through, so that's 7.3 each. I can't make that preview for the cup final. I'm bleaching my eyebrows. Oh, good. Ken Adams asks, or says, I'm full of praise for butchering the job he's done, but can we hear about Randall and how much he's been missed? His ball carrying in the middle third, always looking to go forward. Mayer used to do that when dropping deeper, but I feel he now focuses on ball retention. Thoughts? Couple that with Emma's question, who asks, if Randall is fit, does he come straight back into the team? Well, it sort of depends for what game, I think. I imagine there'll be a process of managing him back in. It seems like he's had a pretty serious injury. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's one of those where we have missed him, but like we also signed Matete, who's very good at 
bringing the ball forward as well. Um, obviously, a different type of player in many respects to Randall. I don't, I don't think we've missed him inordinately. Um, I think he's a different type of player in that midfield. He would be in my in my first choice midfield too, if everyone being fit. So in that sense, yeah, he obviously is a miss. He's a first team player in my view. I would, I would very much say that. Um, I would say on paper, uh, Matete and Randall are best midfield too generally. But I would also credit Matt Butcher for stepping up um, in recent weeks and playing, I think, a fair bit better generally than he than he did in earlier weeks of the season. Um, not that somebody like uh, Panucci Kamara, who uh, it seemed that Butcher was his replacement, would have got in this team anyway, I don't think, with the way that we have chosen to play this season. Um, but... I did look at Butcher earlier in the season as one of the weaker players in the squad, and now um, he is fielding quite well for Randall since his injury. Yeah, I think you have to give Butcher his due. I think that um, I, I completely agree with everything Finn just said. Um, <clears throat> I think he's been terrific in recent weeks, and he's exactly the sort of player you want to hit that kind of form at this stage in the season, right? Like R- Randall is great, um, but he does also have a mistake in him, and sometimes can get bullied a little bit off the ball. Butcher, you know, in this in this kind of run of stodgy games against stodgy teams, you want someone like Butcher to turn up and give seven, eight out of ten every week, uh, which I think he's been doing really, really well at the moment. So yeah, it's not. I think we do miss Randall, but I also don't think it's it's kind of a, a calamity or anything, you know. Yeah, and on Butcher, obviously, we we mentioned it before we started recording that he now joins the legends of of Dominic Blizzard and Romy Bocco and Luke Daly and getting his second goal for uh, for Argo, which is great to see. Alan, Alan, Alan Gow, I believe, pulling that out of my head. As a Alan team. Gow, yeah. He's still one behind Kel Watts, so still work to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know somebody on this pod was a massive fan of Kel Watts, but anyway, moving on. Jack Leslie asks, do you think reverting back to a two-up top against weaker sides would bear more fruit when it comes to creating chances? Obviously, I know we've touched on that a little bit already. The two number tens don't get close enough to whoever's up top, so we revert to long balls rather than building up play. Edison Hardy for me. If, if we if we'd won the game four five nil like we should have last night, we wouldn't be having that discussion. Um, I understand what they're saying, but um, yeah, until we suddenly stop scoring, then we'll have this discussion. But I think at the moment we we just have to focus on making sure, as I touched on earlier, that we're not we're not as leaky at the back as we have been. Um, and that's the first port of call. So for the time being, I'm more than happy for it to be one up front. And don't forget, Big Sam's back soon, isn't he? Um, which will add a total different dimension to the attack. So we might be, then we might look at going back to two up front. Um, but for the time being, I think we'll just stick to the one because I think it's, I, I still think it's working quite well. I know, I know this is very hypothetical, but um, I think... Um, Sam Cosgrove coming back. Do you know? Do you know when it is meant to be, Joe? Uh, I had hoped it would be for last night because um, I thought last night was the perfect game for him. Um, but I presume that they haven't rushed him back because they didn't want him to uh, essentially do a James Bolton, unfortunately, um, yeah. without trying to use him deliberately as an example. But he will be. He's got what seventeen games until the next meaningful game, shall we say? Um, so against Morecambe, so he's got plenty of time to get himself fit for the run in. So let's not let's not rush let's not rush players back like we did last year. That was a mistake last year. We rushed Kamara back, we rushed Hardy back, and it cost us essentially. So I think we're just taking a bit more of a cautious approach towards some of these players, like your Miller, your Galloways, your Cosgroves, players like that. So I think it's the right way to do it. I think he could be I think honestly, I think he could be a huge uh player in these last seven games because I think he's by far uh the best uh out and out finisher uh we have at the club. Like if you give if you want one chance to fall to somebody in that front position, um it's Sam Cosgrove, I think. And because and you know, if the ball pops up in the 85th minute at Morecambe and it's a one-one or nil-nil. You know that that could be the difference here in 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 a couple of these games, if we're talking about just getting the wins and not really like, you know, not not having to just go for it, but just getting the wins. He could be a huge player in that, uh, in you know, in turning those uh those draws into wins. Might not need too long on this one, but Maka South says uh, Hardy 
is holding out for a championship offer despite missing 90% of his chances every game. Not quite as good as his 15 goals make it seem. Joe? Why? Why are we so quick to jump on his back? Like, he could have had a hat-trick last night, for Christ's sake. I know everyone would say, yeah, could have. No, I know he didn't. I'm not not taking your position on this, but that's literally the question is he could have had a hat-trick and he didn't. It's literally literally the point the person asking the question is making. The reason he didn't is he finished badly. Like, I'm not not, not even taking sides. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Joey was rubbish last night. Come on. Like the one the one that hit both posts was was like fine. Like you can you can say that's really unlucky. And it was. He did not finish or use the ball well. He got tackled about three times in a row in great positions, racing forward. Um in in in, in that last bit of the game where we were we were trying he to made stretch. some outstanding runs into the channels last night. Some He's almost he's almost set up Danny Mayer yeah. in the first half as well with a brilliant run into the channel from an excellent out ball from Burton. Um and you know, I accept you know his finishing can be off it at times, but he's he's literally had a shot last night that's hit both posts. It's hit one, it's rolled along the whitewash, hit the inside of the other post, it could go literally anywhere, and it's come back out. Like, if he scores that, it makes up for the last 10 that he's missed when he's one-on-one with the keeper because that was from such a stupid angle to have a go at goal at. Like, I'd give the bloke... Put some respect to his name, for Christ's sake. I'd, I'd argue, why is he team. why is he taking it on himself when Niall Ennis is in a far better position in the middle? In we the wouldn't be saying place. that if it goes in. We're only no, having I this discussion be. because it didn't go no, in. I, 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 I am... I am I am Ryan Hardy's biggest critic of the of the panel and and everyone seems to be Ryan Hardy's biggest bloody critic at the moment. I don't understand it. I, I think I think he's uh, I think he's a very good striker at this level and an excellent player to have in, in our Arsenal. However, I do think um, there are tangible there there are actually games I remember. Uh, and this seems to happen. He seems to somehow be excellent at hard finishes, and then from finishes that he should be scoring, he seems to miss them. And when and when you know when the when we've got eight or nine games left, and you know you one on one, is he going to be able to do it? That's that's my that's that's what I worry about. Neil using it wrote a letter to the fans today on the website, which is a fantastic piece of work. I think Neil's a great asset to the football club and he talks very openly about everything that's gone on up there. He he referenced where this football club was 10 years ago in 2013 on the 22nd of March, like where we were as a club, the mood around the place. 10 years ago, we would have loved to have had somebody who got 20 goals last season, is going to get 20 goals this season, we craved a 20-goal-a-season striker. Now we've got one, all we want to do as a fan base is have a moan and criticise him every week. But we, had, we had players like that. Say. We had Garita. He could have got 20 we goals. We bloody read. That's all we had for about four years. He did all right. Hey, well, respect, respect on that name, in my opinion. He was, he was class. So you want to put respect on his name? You don't want to put respect. Bet you were, on bet Ryan you were more of a Ryan Brunt fan, weren't you, Joe? I can just, just smell it. On I you. was. He scored a lovely goal at Blackburn. <laughs> when he played Carlo. Anyway, but, moving on. Moving uh, come on. Like we're not moving on. No, we're going to talk about this for a minute. I'm not going to allow you to move on. The bloke works tirelessly every week. He makes outstanding runs into the channels. He put. He he sets up goals. Yes, all right, he should have more than what he's already got. But for Christ's sake, put some respect on his name. I'm fed up with hearing this every week. I'm not even, I mean, I'm mostly just winding up, Joe, to be honest, at this point. I um, I, I didn't I didn't think he was great last night in terms of his finishing. I thought he, he, he did lose the ball in a number of positions late in the game, which were really good counter-attacking opportunities. He just did. Um, yeah, he ran the trials, channels tirelessly. You're always going to get that from him. He's really consistent at doing that, and that's great. He's a great player. Love to have him at the club. Hope he stays. Don't think it's some kind of great calumny to point out that he misses chances he should score. I'm sure he would admit that himself. Um, obviously, that one to hit both posts is not one he should score necessarily. But yeah, I, I think he was profligate last night. I'm sorry, a, a little bit. At the uh, very I'd point. also I'd also echo that he's a fantastic player, and I don't have anything against the guy. I just think sometimes he misses more chances than he should. Well, you can move on now while they're moaning about him. Come on. 
Moving on then, uh, nice easy one. Let, let's keep it short and sweet. Andros asks um, a question for those on the pod: Who would be their player of the season so far? Let's keep it short and sweet, Finn. Oh, that's a tough question um, because I would have said Mike Keeper or Dan Scar, but obviously they've not played enough. Um, so I'm going to go with someone who surprised me, probably Gillespie, if I'm honest. I think we actually had this conversation on the pod a couple of weeks ago. My answer then was Gillespie, and it and it still is. Um, but my answer is actually whoever scores the 96th minute goal at Port Vale on the final day that sends us back into the championship. Halib Roberts. Yeah, so Finley, Finley, Crask, take a step up and become players. <laughs> you know you can do it. Ryan Hardy. Fair enough. I think I'd go Maka. Lee Smith says. Sheffield Wednesday, Barnsley, Ipswich, all been on incredible runs, but yet, who is back at the top of the league? Us. Are we giving ourselves enough credit, and are we getting the respect from the wider football community as the others? Without without looking, I'd say we're probably third or fourth favourites for autos. Why is that? Go on, John. Are we getting enough respect from the wider public and the wider media? Not in my opinion, as I've said at length, before and I won't get into that again. I think we're giving ourselves enough credit. I mean, Joe certainly is. I hope. I hope. I hope that I'm giving us enough credit. Um, we've had a brilliant, brilliant season. We've had a brilliant, brilliant season. I, without being a fan of any of those clubs, I just cannot see why you would want any of them to go up ahead of us. Because, like, it would be good for football if we went up. It is good to see different clubs um, break the kind of tedious monopoly of of yo-yo sides i think um you know what what's going to be more fun us going up to the championship on a much smaller budget than some of those clubs around us or or barnsley going back up and coming back down for the 150th time you know ultimately the teams that finish in the top two will deserve it in terms of the way they played over the season almost certainly i've long said if it if it's not us it won't be because we bottle it or just because one of those or two of those sides just produce an absolute madness of a run and literally win every game or something and we can't quite hold a candle to that I think, I think, yeah, before it gets too tense, let's just say we have had an amazing season. It's an incredible achievement from everyone associated with the club, players, management, whatever, um, to be anywhere near where we are at this stage. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable achievement. And I hope whatever happens next, that our fans don't kind of forget that, um, you know, while still obviously being allowed to feel the full roller coaster of emotions. That is, is one of the privileges, I think, in a way that comes with being in this kind of position. Um Obviously, you don't want us to, to just kind of settle for this and give up now that we're so, so close. I also, you know, think that it would be nice if the kind of lower league pundit reaction to us, if we do just miss out, is what a great season they had rather than sneering about data and, you know, other clubs being back where they belong. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I have to say on that. I would also add that at this point, if we haven't got um, as much plaudits as we should get, we won't get them. So, you know, I'm not that bothered. Um, because we know as fans that we deserve to be here currently. So I think that's all that matters. I think a lot of it is coming from people who do not watch us play. And obviously... And you know, Clinton Morrison. If, if you're not, you know, you're not, you're not <laughs> going to be able to watch every side play, right? If you're kind of doing broad-based analysis of the football league. And I, I don't watch Ipswich every week. I don't watch Sheffield Wednesday every week, you know? Um, I, I think that our results look less, and our data just look less impressive on paper. And that's a lot of what people go on and there's some merit to that but like equally like I said earlier I'm not in, I'm not more impressed by us easily beating Forest Green 2-0 than Ipswich doing it 4 or 5 right I just don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things and that obviously unless it comes down to goal difference but that's kind of an outside possibility really um, you know like it just doesn't it just doesn't really interest me uh, that that much and I don't think anyone who's watched us all season would think we're lucky to be where we are I guess I'll just leave it at that Loads of questions about points and points totals and how many points are we getting yet and how many are we going to beat um, Morgan by. But just let's, let's just boil it down to April. Forgetting, obviously, the EFL Trophy final uh, preview pod coming uh, with without Joe. April look, obviously looks like a huge month for Argyle, right? We've got Morecambe, Exeter and Shrewsbury away. While at home, we host Lincoln, Cambridge, Bristol Rovers and Burton Albion. How many points are we realistically picking up from? How many are we expecting? We've got to be winning those 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 home games, right? Minimum. That's that's fine. Is that seven games that you just mentioned? Four at home and three away? 21 points available. I will go for 15. Maybe tipping one of the three that I think will draw into 
a win. I guess I'm hedging a little bit. So I kind of do think we'll win at Morecambe, and I also think we'll win all of our home games. But like, I could see either Morecambe or a random one of the home games being a disappointing draw. Shrewsbury next, I think we'll draw. So yeah, if, I, if I've added that up right, I think that's that makes 15 points is what I'll kind of conservatively say, which would get us to 95 before the final um, game of the season. Exeter still have to play all four of the top four. Um, I can imagine them deliberately deliberately working their ass off to smash us and then just putting out a team of kids. I, I would I would applaud that to be fair if they did that. I'd be like fair play. Fair play. Good housery, as they call it now, as as they <laughs> seem to drop the word shit. Um Joe, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um I had a tweet sent to me today by at Savage Argo, um, who had done a table um that had said in the last ten years, the average um points for winning the division was 91.3 the average for being runner-up is 86.5 the last couple of years if you take out Rotherham's Covid year runner-up has been 90 87 91 96 and 86 so we have to get as close to that 90 mark as we can which means we need to pick up a minimum of 10 points Um, I think personally from those games we've got coming up it has to be a minimum of what John says um, I don't think anything less than that is acceptable. Um, and I genuinely believe as long as we can maintain a greater two points per game between now and the end of the season, um, then we'll be fine. Um, I can't see us slipping up at home. Um, the the obscure one there is probably Bristol Rovers, just because of it's, there's a bit of a rivalry there in it. Joey Barton hates us. The football world hates Joey Barton. And us, though, so, so that's going to be difficult for them, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. What was it Lees used to sing? No one likes us, we don't care. That will be the obscure one at home. Obviously, form goes out the window for Exeter away. I don't think we can really be... We can be confident going into it that we're miles better than them. Um, but obviously, there's a load of connotations to come with it. But yeah... Minimum of 15, um, but if you ask me how many points we're going to pick up in those seven games, 21. Oof. Bold. Fib, nice and short. Well, Ipswich is playing Derby next weekend when we're not playing. It's fairly big because if they don't make up any of the gap on us, then, you know, that they're five points behind us. And I feel like at, that's, at this stage, and, you know, regardless of Barnsley having two games in hand, they are actually closer to Ipswich than they are us. So I think... Uh, as though, you know, five points at this stage of the season would be a would be a, a quite not not a huge gap, but you know, it's a psychological um, it's a psychological advantage for us to have to be five points clear of them now without um, you know even if they have a game in hand. So I think I don't know. I think I'm taking it game by game personally. But if you were to ask me for a rough estimate, probably uh, how many points we'd need or, or 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 get, I would say about fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. We can't, we can't we can't discount that like we were talking about this kind of post Barnsley mini season right I think on the podcast after Barnsley we have just won two of those games I mean there are people there saying what we need five or six from those um from those games like we've won two uh, yeah probably need more than that obviously but but you know we've won we've won two games out of two you can't do any better than that and one, and one of them was obviously a pretty much a three point banker but the other one wasn't um, you know, there were people who thought we would uh, have a big banana skin last night. We didn't. It was very comfortable. Um, so, yeah, we've got to hold our nerve. But as I've said many times on this podcast, I don't see any evidence of this team of bottlers. And I would not like to start seeing that evidence now. I've seen evidence of us being outclassed. I've seen evidence of us being tired. I've seen evidence of us being slightly disorganised. I've not seen evidence of really of mental weakness from this side at all. Um, and that, you know barring an absolute miracle from one of the sides chasing us of like, you know, three points for every single game. That should should be enough. The general consensus from here on in has to be just worry about ourselves. Let, let the other three worry about each other. Worry about ourselves. Not to sound like Joe Bell, but if we do our job, we'll be fine. Yeah, that seems to be the only, you know, the only things that fans of the other teams on Twitter are worrying about, are worrying about us. And rather than, as well as their own teams. So, yeah, whereas we have the privilege of being, if we win every game, which isn't definitely not impossible, um, we we will we'll, we'll go up. So, yeah, we've said it several times on this podcast. The only team that worries me is Plymouth Argyle, and that's the only mentality that we should have. Yeah. On that, I think we should call that a night.
it's a long one for a midweek uh, review, um, and we'll jump on again. We're trying to line up some some different views, should we say, ahead of the Papa John's Pro Free final. Yeah, also as good Maybe special overseas guests. Potentially, potentially, we shall see. We shall see who has been contacted and who appears. Uh, thanks for joining me tonight, guys. Cheers. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. I'm going off for a three-week holiday now. See you on Easter weekend. See you soon. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.